friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the July 14th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Let's give a Sunny Side of Sports salute to the national women's football teams from Morocco and Zambia, which have both qualified for their maiden Women's World Cup. They did so by winning their quarterfinal matches Wednesday at the Africa Women's Cup of Nations tournament in Morocco. Zambia beat Senegal 4-2 on penalty kicks after extra time finished 1-1 in Casablanca. Goalkeeper Hazel Nolly was the heroine for the Copper Queens of Zambia. Hazel scored the winning spot kick for the Zambian women after saving one herself. And in the capital, Rabat, the Moroccan women delighted a big partisan crowd by beating Botswana 2-1. For reaction to the Morocco-Botswana game, Iron Mike Mbonye spoke with the Nairobi-based sports journalist Lokader Natiom. This was one exciting game if there ever was one. Morocco came in swinging right from the jump and with that first goal from Sanaa Masudi tucked in very comfortably past uh, Botswana's uh, goalkeeper was one to start the game on a high. Of course, the fan energy, this you it's something you can call a home advantage for Morocco because uh, probably they've played on this uh, ground before and they had their fans there cheering them on just to get to the semifinals or the World Cup in 2023. And you could tell that Botswana um, were having fun from the get-go because even after Morocco scored their first goal, they were not intimidated by that first goal and uh, they came in equalizing just a few minutes later uh, to show them that you know we have faced some of the toughest teams in Africa including Nigeria and South Africa and now we are not afraid of you uh, who are now competing for the third time at the Africa Women Cup of Nations so I, I was on on the edge of my seat the whole time and also smiling the whole time because the energy of this game was just incredible even the coaches you could see that they were worried throughout the game because the players really were putting their best foot forward and you could see that the communication of, uh, between the Moro Moroccan players was really, really superb this time because they have been resting for five days since their last match and of course I think that has been a great, great uh, addition to what they were able to do um, at this uh, quarterfinal match against Botswana. Botswana, uh, I think, have had a very steady um, growth since 2019, qualifying for the COSAFA uh, event uh, for the first time. And, of course, last year when they beat uh, South Africa, infamously, they beat South Africa at the World Cup, uh, at the, sorry, at the Olympic, uh, Tokyo Olympic qualifiers, um, which was very, very key for them in terms of building themselves as one of the best teams or upcoming teams in Africa. Africa. So it was great to see Botswana playing their best foot forward and just anticipating for what um, everyone else in the continent is anticipating for because we do not want um, the usual winners uh, from the past uh, 
uh, Africa Women Cup of Nations. So this was truly uh, a match that uh, will go down in history for learning lessons, teams that will be coming up in the next championships in the next years because we saw a great deal of midfield play, which was where the power was held, uh, balls being controlled from that point, and a lot of free kicks that have earned both teams good points and, of course, the goals. So it was exciting to see both teams bringing their best foot forward and we hope for the best uh, when it comes to the semifinals. Botswana made her debut in the Women's AFCON. What's your assessment of the team from the group to quarterfinal stage? When Botswana, uh, Mike was uh, playing Burundi, you could see that they were excited to get to this level of competition. And uh, from the game where they won a 4-2 I mean, we could see clearly that they were aiming for the best. That is the either the World Cup or getting to the final of the Africa Women Cup of Nations. So they've had steady growth. They've played against some of the best teams uh, in the continent, South Africa and Nigeria, who have been dominant uh, in the Africa Women Cup of Nations and even other competitions within the continent. And some of their players, uh, Mike, have gotten this experience uh, by building uh, slowly, of course, through their local league in Botswana, but also venturing outside Botswana in the European uh, or or, or in the European leagues, which is key in building talent here in Africa. So I think from what we've seen uh, them playing against uh, uh, Morocco, there is a chance that they might uh, do the same or put up a better performance in the semifinals. So I'm hoping for the best from Botswana. And now I'm actually rooting for them. I didn't think I'd root for Botswana, but I'm actually rooting for them to either get to the final or even qualify for the World Cup. Do you think there will be new teams in the continent to emulate Botswana's exploits in the next edition of Women's AFCON? Mike, there will definitely be new teams in the continent uh, that will emulate Botswana's exploits in the next edition of the Africa Women's Cup of Nations. I am hoping that Kenya will this time get to that level. I mean, the team that we had this year, despite of the uh, push and pull between the government and FIFA, I think we had one of the best teams. And I think what Botswana have shown is what Kenya will have done uh, at the Africa Women's Cup of Nations. I'm hoping that... In the next competition, uh, Mike, that Kenya will get to emulate or even put up a better performance uh, than Botswana because we have a team that has been built for a very long time, since 2018, the last competition, and have had great experiences in the uh, Olympic qualifiers, uh, Sekafa Championship here in uh, the East African region. And of course... um, our players every year get a chance to play uh, in the Euro- European leagues. And of course, the CAF Women's Champions League, I think, will play a big part in empowering teams like Kenya and Tanzania and uh, even teams like South Sudan, who are still fairly new when it comes to women's football. And I think we will be able to emulate, if not do better than Botswana in the upcoming competitions. That sports journalist, Loka Dare Natiom. And she spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Nairobi, Kenya. The Moroccan women will next play the winner of Thursday's Nigeria-Cameroon quarterfinal in Casablanca in the semifinals. And the Zambian women will next play the winner of Thursday's South Africa-Tunisia quarterfinal in the semifinals. And while Botswana and Senegal lost their matches on Wednesday, they still have a chance of qualifying for the 2023 Women's World Cup. 
on Sunday, July 17th. They'll play the losers of Thursday's quarterfinal matches. And the winners on Sunday advance to interconfederation playoffs. Playoffs that will determine more World Cup qualifiers. Hello, listeners. My name is Majida Nantanda. I'm a former Christed Crane captain, former national team Christed Crane coach, and now a calf coaches instructor. Listen to Sunny Side of Sports on Voice of America. How did former Crested Cranes captain and coach Majda Nantanda get her start playing football? That's the question Magume Davis Raka Winge posed to her. It wasn't easy as it is now, because before, when I was still playing during those days, as women or girls, we are not allowed to play the game. And But I got a chance of playing with my brothers who were always involved in the game with those community boys because I was good at it. So for me, I grew up playing football just because the boys wanted me to play on their teams and being that I was talented. So, so I'm, I'm among the few girls who grew up playing football just because of my talent. Yeah. <laughs> and first of all, you eventually played for the national team, the Uganda Crested Cranes. Uh, consequently representing Uganda at uh, the famous 2000 uh, finals in South Africa. Mm, How was it? Uh, It was a very good experience and as a leader because by then I was the captain of the team uh, uh, though I wasn't the captain for the field because I decided to give it to my senior player Oliver Mbekika but I was the captain, the full captain of the team. It was a very good experience because as women who just played football without knowing what is happening, all of a sudden qualifying for that top continental uh, championship, like we got excited and it's like, ah, this is our chance. And then we started feeling why, and then actually making us consoling ourselves, or oh, maybe this is why we played football because by then we we're never paid, we we're just doing for, for our own with passion. Right now, who I am today is that experience I got in 2000 because I got to interact with the Nigerians, whom I used to admire as role models, the South Africans, they're now my friends, and when I meet them, you know, so it gave me that chance of seeing things beyond not only to be a player but just to think, what would I do when I retire from the game? Actually, talking about that brings me to you. Uh, from being a captain, from playing for the national team, eventually coached the national team. Uh, how did you achieve that? Uh, I, how I came into, like in 2007, uh, FIFA wanted to, like there was a youth coaching course, so it was FIFA sponsored. So FIFA told them, had a condition, if you want this course to happen, because FIFA had brought over 50 coaches, male youth coaches. So they said at least you need to involve women. So by then I was still playing, so the federation told one of the coach, the people, the person who was to be with us, go and get for us five good players from the national team. Being that I was the captain, uh, it just came, I said, hey Majida, being automatic. the automatic, get your other four players, you should pick those who are better. Tomorrow, you have, like on Monday, you have to go to FUFA and attend a coaching course. Don't mind, because I never thought about being a coach, I never wanted, because no one told me in the first place you can be a coach. Mm. So it was all about play football, be the right midfielder, keep that position. So during the last closing ceremony, uh, the FIFA instructor, Fig from German, he said, I'd like to recognize one of the coaches, good, like one of the best participants. So I went in front and started saying anything like, this young woman, if helped, and the federation people were there, the technical director and the federation president, if helped, she can be a better player, a better coach in future. Mm. So help her, and then she gave me a FIFA badge. After there, then there was, CAF was... I think had an invitation telling all federations to select two women. They must have played for the national team and they must have attended a coaching course. The same year, I'd attended the coaching course. So that's when I went to South Africa for CAF. And when I went to reach the CAF, they're like, okay, we want to mentor you to become 
better coaches and instructors in future. So that happened when I came back. I said I've retired, and that's how I took up coaching. So actually retired from uh, active football uh, when you're still young. Exactly, exactly. Mm. But because of that experience, first with the FIFA instructor and then going to CAF, CAF a course in 2007 and seeing the role model like Fran Hinton-Smith, seeing all the people and they're talking about coaching and how they want to develop women coaches in, in Africa and also to become instructors. When I came back, it's when I said I need to retire, although I can still play. The growing the Game for Girls Foundation, uh, which is your organization. Tell us more about it. How do you come with this organization and how has it helped you achieve your dream of promoting women uh, football? Uh, in 2010, a group of Americans came to Uganda, actually they were at Old Kampala Secondary School, and they wanted to train over 200 uh, coaches. So I happened to be among the 200 coaches. More of them were, they were men. We are only 40 women. So one of the ladies was Lisa Berg from the U.S. She was the, the assistant. Like, I came to Uganda, I was looking for people like you. Do you exist? I said, yes. So that's when I got a chance to go for my exchange program in the U.S. So I told them my story. And then when they just said, what do you want? I said, like, whatever I've told you, you came to Uganda looking for us, but we are somewhere hidden. No one even told you that there are women who are playing football. People used to take her to the men's team. So I want to be the change that I want to see. So with that, Lisa said, I can help you do that. So we came up with that, me and Lisa. The growing the game for girls. Exactly. To use my experience as a former player, as a former woman playing soccer, to see that there's a change in all women and girls in Uganda from now until that using my experience and then because I know like if I used to play, some of my colleagues used to drop out of school. It's like, how can I use football? How can these girls use football to come and or attain education? Talk about issues like rape, early pregnancy, drug use and abuse. All the experience that I had, all the experience that I saw when I was playing, is what I want to use that. So, till now, it has done a lot of things. It's a very good project, and I'm also supported by Global Sports Mentorship Program. It's the U.S. Department of State uh, program because uh, that's where I was mentored and all whatever I do through mentorship is because of them so it's my project I have passion I do it for free I go to communities I gather women I gather men I gather girls because I'm a former footballer I attract them with my tricks and then I tell talk to parents when you see that girl playing allow her to play maybe she can be a doctor in future that's Majda Nantanda the former captain and coach of Uganda's national women's football team and she spoke with Magume Davis Rakawinge in Kampala Uganda and we'll hear part two of their conversation on Friday's sunny side of sports. Germany's top flight Bundesliga kicks off on August 5th, and one of the footballers looking forward to the new season is Werder Bremen defender Felix Agu. The 22-year-old Agu is the son of a German mother and a Nigerian father. In an interview with Kwabena Quicksilver Ofori, Felix talked about his family and his fledgling professional football career. A young man from, from Osnabrück. Okay. My mom is, has always lived in, in Osnabrück. I was born and raised there. My dad came from Nigeria to Germany. I grew up in Osnabrück. I stayed there till I was, I think, 20 years old. Then I moved to Bremen. I started playing football at the age of... I don't know, since I can think, um, because my dad and uncles, everybody used to play football back in the days or still play football like for fun. So 
that's how I got into football. And yeah, ever since I can think, like the ball was in my life. In every player's life, the parents play a major role, driving you to the training grounds for the youth teams and all that. And could you please tell me the particular role your parents play during your juvenile football period? Yeah, they played a big role. I think, like, for most young players, like, not only the support they gave you by driving you to the training facility, by, I don't know, making sure you get everywhere in time, you know, supporting you at, at the games and stuff, but also at home, keeping it a safe place so you can, like, come back even if you have had a bad game. They're still there, support you, and, yeah. Okay. are important for you to keep a clear head. Fellas, at the age of 19, you were invited to the German national under-21 team. How was the feeling like? It was an honor, for sure, when I, when I got the call. But it was also, at the same time, very overwhelming because everything went kind of quick. Because um, the season before, we played with Osnabrück in the third division in Germany. Um, and we got promoted to the second league. But... During the season in the third league, I was playing like maybe 50% of the game. So I wasn't like a starting player all the time. So I, I was in and out in the third division. So when we got promoted, I was like, okay, let's just see how, how the season plays out. And then, yeah, I played a good preseason. And all of a sudden, I found myself in the starting 11 in the first matches. And then it was like, yeah, I, I played some pretty good games. And always when you're, when you're young, playing like in a good league, then also the national teams get like aware of you. And that's when, when I got a call from the coach. Yeah. And yeah, then I was like very happy. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, yeah, it was also a kind of difficult decision mm-hmm. because like there were just a few days in between when I also got a call from the Super Eagles coach, Gernot Rohr at that time. And he also asked me to play for the Super Eagles for the upcoming international break. And then, yeah, it was like, a few days where I was like, okay, what should I do? I would love to play for Nigeria, but I also would love to play for Germany. I've never even played in a national team. So I was like, okay, in the end, I was like, let's just start with the under-21s of Germany, like in a more familiar setting where it's more known, where I might know some players. I've played against some. And yeah, also because it wasn't a fixed decision. So when I would have gone to the Super Eagles, it would have been okay. Now I have to stick with this decision. And now I can still decide whether or not to, maybe if I get called up to um, the first team for Germany or Nigeria. What convinced you to sign for Werder Bremen after your long stay with Osnabrück? I had a pretty good uh, development in in Osnabrück. I've been there since I was 10 or 11 years old. Played there for two seasons with the first team. And then it was like, I played a good season in the second league. I um, got called up to the under-21s and I felt like I was ready for the next step to in my career. And I also felt like this would be like at some other place than Osnabrück. And yeah, that's when Bremen came into play and offered me to play for them. Mm-hmm. For me, it was the deciding point to play for Werder Bremen was for one that it was kind of close to Osnabrück. Um, that I still could keep like my my family, my friends around, and also that it's like a very family-like club. That is um, everybody's treating each other well in the club. It's not 
it's also professional, but you know, at the same time, everybody is kind of kind of close, you know. And also with the with the fans and the big tradition this club has, it was in the end a kind of easy decision to come here. Your team Werder Bremen is back to the Bundesliga one. How are you ready for the forthcoming season? To play in the Bundes in the first Bundesliga was like the reason I also came here, like to make the next step. Um, and yeah, for us to get relegated after the first season to to be in the second Bundesliga last year was like difficult for everybody. Like everybody had like different different perspective for themselves. Since we got promoted back again, everybody's very happy. Everybody's excited, um, and this, this is the same for me. I'm also very excited for the season. I train hard, do my best to be to make the squad, to make the first eleven, and yeah, hopefully, and get the best results. Yeah, Felix. Now at the age of 22, you could be among the favorites to help the Super Eagles. I mean, I mean the Nigerian senior national team. What is the option now, when in case you are called on? This decision has yet to be made. Of course, I've talked to to my agent, to my father especially. But yeah, I'm still waiting for the call call up to come mm-hmm. for me to really like intensely think about it and really make a decision. But for now, I'm of course very very open. As you can see also uh, right now in Ghana, a lot of players like since they made the World Cup qualification, like I see, I think Tariq Lamptey. This uh, Patrick Pfeiffer we, we've played against last year. Mm-hmm. I think even maybe Kay, Callum Hudson-Odoi is yeah. thinking about it. So you see a lot of players now that maybe uh, they might have been born abroad think about playing for their uh, home national team. And yes, the same for me. I'm very open for it. But um, for me to make a decision, there has to be like a call-up first. Felix, then lastly... You know that you have a lot of fans in Africa, it's mostly in Nigeria. And then what do you have to tell them, both your African fans, Nigerian fans, and your Veda Bremen fans? Yeah, I'm just thankful for every for every support that yes. they they're giving me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just for me, I'm doing my best every time I step on the pitch. You know, without the fans, like there wouldn't be this big of a sport because like it's it goes both ways. If, if we don't perform, then there, there are no fans. But if there are no fans, then also everything around us that's that makes us be professional might not be there. So we're me and all the other players are also very very thankful for every support we can get, and especially if it's not even just so close, but also if you see you have fans that are thousands of kilometers away, it's even more special that they also um, watch all your games and support you throughout. So, yeah, I'm just very thankful. That's Werder Bremen defender Felix Agu looking forward to the start of another Bundesliga season. And Felix spoke with Kwabena Quicksilver Ofori from Bremen, Germany. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice 
of America. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. Also, please note, we've moved our programs to VOAAfrica.com. There you'll find your favorite VOA TV and radio shows, including the sunny side of sports and a whole lot more. Find us on VOAAfrica.com. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. Seven athletes will represent Ghana at the World Athletics Championships, which begin Friday in the northwest U.S. city of Eugene, Oregon. Team Ghana has tallied only two medals at the championships. Ghanaian athletics officials say the country needs to invest more in track and field, as we hear now from Yawafusu Larbi in the capital, Accra. Sporty greetings, Yao! Hi, Sunny. Sporty greetings. Ghana's impact at the World Athletics Championships has been minimal. The country has participated in several championships, but has returned home empty-handed. This has been blamed on the country's inability to support athletes. Equipment and tartan tracks are scarce, for the quintessential Ghanaian athletes. 2005 was the country's best year ever at the championships. In that year, Ghana won her only two medals. Those two were delivered by long jumper Ignatius Geyser and heptathlon athlete Margaret Simpson. Assistant coach of Ghana's current team heading to the championships, Elom Amenakbo, says the country will have to invest a bit more to stand a chance of winning medals. If we want to be, uh, start talking about medals, let's invest in the medal. You understand? We don't allow these kids uh, training on their own, doing everything on their own. And then when there's major competition, we are expecting medal, medal from them. I'm not saying that they, they are not able to compete for a medal. They are able to compete for a medal. Looking at the time, uh, Jopo ran uh, 9.94, uh, Benjamin uh, ran 9.90. You know, they, they are there. But, you know, it takes preparation to get into major competition like this. So if we want to be talking about medals, let's put investment into winning medals. Ghana is heading into the championship with seven athletes. Top of that list are sprinters Benjamin Azamati, Joseph Paul Amwa, and long jumper Deborah Aqua, who has had a massive year. The young Benjamin Azamati is who Ghanaians will be banking their hopes on. He's the country's national record holder with 9.90 seconds in the 100 meters and has already run at the Olympics and the Diamond League. His coach, Eloma Menakpo, says the level of experience he has garnered from all these meets should help his confidence going into the championships. Yeah, um, uh, as a Grove, I'm very fast. Uh, it was good for him, and it is good for him that uh, he was able to experience the, the Diamond League in Oslo and also in Paris. So it's a very good thing for him. So uh, he has met the big guys, and he's going to meet them again on Friday. So it's a very good thing for him. And the thing is that everyone is entering this game with zero. It doesn't matter the time that you run before qualifying for the for the championship. This is a tournament. So uh, the most important thing is to run to advance to the next uh, stage and uh, run to advance to the semifinal. And then when you get to the final, then we can uh, think about winning it. With a personal best of 9.94 seconds in the 100 meters, Joseph Paul Amoa is the second fastest man from Ghana and he will be incredibly involved in the championships. 
After a poor showing in Mauritius last month, he will be looking to make history at the championships in Oregon. This year, I think this year is going to be a very, very fast year on the track. There's so many, like, there's so many things that have happened within this short period of time. Like, people are running, like, crazy times, like, all-time marks and stuff like that. So, um, I'm expecting a very fast year. Um, so, you know, getting that time that early makes me know that there's, there's going to be a great year ahead. I'm very, like... I'm very happy in the U.S. I don't have to, you know, do my, do too much traveling um, to somewhere. You know, all those stuff come together to, you know, just put pressure on you. So it being here, I'm, I'm just trying to get ready for it, trying to stay injury-free this season and give Ghanaians what they want to see. Ghana's relay team will also try to mount the podium. After winning gold at the Africa Games in 2019, they have moved from strength to strength. Whatever happens at the championships, this very young crop of athletes must show the world with time they can smash it at the top. For the sunny side of sports, this is Yaofusulabi in Accra. And that wraps up the July 14th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. I get it. And that's the sunny side of sports.